Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, the no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach to Coach Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today on the show, we have Scott Drake with Jump Coach. Welcome, Scott. Hey, thanks, Lee. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Jump Coach. How are you serving folks? Yeah, so Jump Coach is primarily a leadership accelerator. We uh, work a lot with uh, emerging leaders and newer leaders and leadership teams who just want to work better together. So, you know, my my backstory is when I came up through the ranks, it took me kind of a long time to to really become an effective leader. And, uh, and as I became a leader of leaders, I began to see the next generation having the same struggle. So I thought there's got to be a faster way to do this. So so that's where Jump Coach came to be. And then the other thing we get into and, and, and spend a lot of our time with now is how do we also help those those leaders hire better, especially for knowledge workers and in tech world, which is where I come out of is how do you, how do you improve hiring decisions? How do you interview better? How do you do those things? So, so those are the two areas that we really focus a lot on, which is on how do you hire better than how do you just grow leaders in general to lead those teams that you've built? Sure. I'd like to get to the hiring part, but I'd also like to delve in a little bit about the emerging leaders, uh, just kind of the mindset shift that has to occur. Um, are you of the belief that kind of everybody has a leader inside them and they just need to be nurtured and taught and kind of encouraged or is it, are some people kind of just natural leaders and then we're kind of stuck with those people and hope you get one? Yeah. So I think the data shows that about 10% of people are natural leaders and that about 10% of people lack the uh, ability to develop the emotional intelligence to become a leader. But about 80% of us, and I'm definitely in that 80%, we can become great leaders. We truly can become great leaders, but uh, we're not the naturals, right? We have to be nurtured and and led around a little bit to just kind of uh, make that mindset, the mindset shift that you kind of alluded to, which is really why we run an accelerator program more than a training program or a workshop is that our, the first piece, the biggest piece of that accelerator program is to help people learn to start thinking like leaders instead of like experts. Right. They were rewarded their whole life for being the expert. Now you got to stop that. Right. You're rewarded for something different now. And it's and it's a really hard transition to make for a lot of people. But 80 percent of people can make it. It's, it's definitely doable. And then uh, at the crux of that, it sounds like is the fact that you don't have to be the expert anymore. You just have to get the most out of your people. And that doesn't require you of knowing everything they know. And that might some people might feel like they're kind of, you know, that fake it till you make it or I'm an imposter because I really don't know more, like, how am I this young person now leading these, um, you know, kind of older people, these seasoned veterans, and I'm now in charge, like, how to, you know, who am I to tell them how to do anything? Like, I think the mindset is just really at the heart of this. If you can't kind of reframe that your role, it's going to be very difficult for you. Yeah, I mean, on my last team, again, I come out of the tech world. On my last team, I had architects, engineers, data scientists, uh, the, the technology has just grown so much and changed so much that there is no way a single person can be good at any of this, right? But I have to lead these people. 
So leadership is really about, about helping people solve problems and get unstuck using their own brains and their own skills and their own thinking, right? Your process and your skill and what you're bringing to the table is your ability to work through others to get things done, right? It's no longer your own ability to do those things. And a lot of us, when we come into leadership, we have those false beliefs of the best or the most senior person gets promoted. And that's, the, that's all it means to be a leader is that you're the most senior or you're the best, uh, but that's really not what leadership is. And that's, is, that is that mindset shift that you have to really start thinking about your own status and value in a different way. And your job is to unlock the best, the best work of other people. And, and it is a different skill and it's a different, it's a different job. And some people like it. I was a great computer programmer. It took me a long time to really become a great leader and enjoy being a great leader as much as I enjoyed being a good computer programmer. Some people are never going to enjoy it as much as the, their, their work. So they should not really become leaders. That's, that's the bigger thing. It's like, you know, they can do it, but they may not enjoy it. So they may not, they may not want to do it. And isn't that what you find in a lot of organizations? They just um, choose the person that's the best at some area and then they make them in charge or they're the leader now when they really aren't suited or they're not even interested in being the leader. They want to just be the best in their little kind of domain. Yeah, everybody wants status gains. Everybody wants raises, right? Everybody wants new challenges, Right. And, and unfortunately, in a lot of workplaces, the only way to get those status gains or to get more money or to get something slightly different to do is to go into a leadership type of a role or a management role that a lot of people aren't going to enjoy or not going to be well suited for. So a big challenge for companies in, in, is, is to say, how do we help people get those gains of status? How do we help them uh, do more? you know, from their current seat or from a similar seat without having to necessarily make them people managers or ask them to become leaders. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it is, we, there, there's a, a lot of reasons behind the great resignation, but I think part of it is that people get stagnant and they just want change and they want something different and companies don't have a way to do that. But if they had other ways to, to give those things to people, then I think people would be more inclined to stick around. And, um, and it's almost like kind of blowing up the org chart um, where the path isn't that linear and you can get that status gain. You can get more money. You can get the things you want and just still stay in this expertise in this sweet spot where you are being the best you you can be. But it takes a rethinking from, you know, the upper management and upper leadership to really uh, want to shake things up to that degree. Yeah, it's, it's an organizational design. I mean, it, it is basically, and, and, it, and, it, and it fits really well with knowledge work and in tech where I come out of, it is to say that, you know, we stand up teams for six months to 18 months to two or three years sometimes to solve specific problems. And then we stand that team down and we stand up other teams, right? So there's all these opportunities for people where we need leadership, right? We need people that can lead those teams without necessarily becoming managers, so it, it really, it, it's the, it's almost a, in alignment with some of the changes of the business as a whole, that it is much more project work versus, um, you know, routine, uh, you know, manufacturing work, distribution work, work that follows a, a set process is, is being done more and more by machines and the computers. Uh, and then that irregular work, that project work is, is what humans are doing more of. So that's why, again, I think more people are falling into that realm of, of doing that irregular work and, and the organization structure has to change with it and the leadership within that has to change with it. So I think it's all kind of coming together and tied together. 
So it's uh, how much of it is kind of the senior leaders being comfortable with this level of chaos and this um, having things not as maybe well defined and designed as, you know, their lawyer or accountant wants them to have it. Or their board, right? Right. It's the, the, the board and the investors demand efficient, predictable return on investment. And so, so we've trained a whole generation or three of MBA students that efficiency is God and efficiency is what you strive for. And it's efficient return on capital, right? But efficiency is again, being now done mostly by machines and computers and the work of human beings is irregular. It's organic. It requires a different approach to management. You can't manage creative work through the lens of efficiency. And that's where so many upper leaders are struggling that I see them struggle with, you know, just like the work from home is a great example. Like, well, if I, my people are at home and I can't see them, how do I know that they're working? And it's like, well, why do you feel the need to control them to that level? They're not on a manufacturing floor punching rivets, right? They are doing creative work. And I do my most creative work at six o'clock in the morning. So you should be really happy that I'm at home working at six o'clock in the morning instead of a nine to five job. You can't see me, but I am doing my best work for you right now, right? So, so that's the mindset that that the senior executive is going to have to learn, and our and our MBA programs and all those things are going to have to come along with it because they are going to start failing and they are going to stop delivering uh, results in in a way that even makes the investors happy, right? So, so yeah, it's a, it's a big mindset shift that is going to have to happen at that upper level. That's different than just the basic leadership mindset level, but mindset shift. Now, how are you, uh, what do the conversations look like when you're uh, talking to the senior leaders about how you can help them with hiring and help them, you know, you do interviews better and, and all these things that are kind of symptomatic of these larger structural challenges? Yeah, so so leaders often approach me with with a, with a different different types of problems. Number one, they may be growing a team. Right, I tend to work with a lot of companies that are in that fast growth mode. Uh, hey, we've got to hire ten or twenty engineers to 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 take on this new project or to do this new work, and we need to we need to. Number one, we're we're struggling a little bit to find them. But then, you know, I find some great candidates and I send them over to the team and the team interviews them and they hate them all. Right. Why? Right. We don't have there's no alignment or structure between what I think we need and what the team thinks we need. So it's like, how do we get everybody on the same page? Right. How do we uh, improve our decisions? Like, how do we actually improve our hiring decisions so that we can we know that we're, we're making good decisions? And then how do we how do we lower our false, our false negatives? Like we're, we're rejecting too many people we feel like, so we can't get everybody on the same team. So they often will come and say, how do we get everybody on the same team? Uh, how do we interview better in a fairer way uh, that's less biased? Uh, and then, you know, how do we really look at our hiring outcomes over time? So those are the, the, the bigger things that are kind of in their head when they, when they approach, uh, approach me about uh, working with them on hiring. So let's talk a little bit about um, how, in order to hire a more kind of representative, maybe well-rounded cast of characters, what are some of the, the mistakes that people have historically been making? So it always seems like the same type of person gets the same type of job where now um, we're trying to at least be mindful of, hey, let's cast a wider net and let's invite some folks that maybe not necessarily have been invited to this party before. How do you kind of... Um, 
implement something like that to prevent that uh, so that all the people don't always look the same in the roles that they've historically had? Yeah, so I think part of it is I'm a big fan of, of a guy named Dr. David Rock, uh, who's a neuroscientist, who's a Neuro Leadership Institute is his organization. And one of the things that he that he found in his studies is that there are things that cause people to uh, to to be uh, happy and feel good about their workplace. And there's things that cause them stress. That's kind of the fight or flight. There's things that trigger that that fight or flight. And one of those is, is relatedness. There's, there's five, but one of them is relatedness, that, that things, people, uh, environments that are different than we are, they're different than what we're used to, they actually trigger in our brain that emotional fight or flight response, right? So, uh, and, and it happens across uh, anything where there's differences between people. So it could be, I was talking to a guy who was the head of one of the, one of the a big giant international conglomerate that everybody would know. It's, it's a huge company, right? That the, their head of um, uh, talent acquisition worldwide. And he said that one of the biggest problems he has is that people have that with their schools. Like I, I you know, if I graduated from this school, I really want to hire people from my school. So it can be as simple as simple as a school, but it can also be, you know, gender. It can be uh, race, ethnicity, those types of things that when things are different than we are, it actually emotionally triggers a response in us that is fight or flight. We all have it, right? We cannot turn that off. It is just part of who we are as human beings. That's what neuroscience proves. But what we have to do as leaders is that we have to recognize that. That's why emotional intelligence is so important. But that's also what we have to train Anybody who's in the hiring process to recognize that your brain, your, your emotional brain is going to have this response, the things that are different than you. And it's okay, right? That's you're, you're wired to do that, but you, your intellectual brain can take over and say that I'm not going to act on this. So number one is, is just helping people understand that things that are different than them are going to cause them some stress. And then number two is to really be open to, uh, I see this a lot in the tech world that, that. Again, our ego is attached to our status as being great at our skill or our craft or whatever that is. It could be accounting. It could be science. It could be whatever. And that we want to feel like the expert and we want to feel like we are experts. We want to feel like we have to have experts to do this job, even though the job might not really require that. So it's really being honest about what are the requirements of the role, who's going to enjoy that, that. Uh, and then there are, it's not always the straight linear path to feed people into those types of roles. Sometimes there are alternatives. And, uh, and that's what a lot of companies and hiring managers are also bidding to look for is to say, how do we, what are some of those alternative tracks? The guy I was talking to from the big conglomerate, that's one of his big focuses going forward is how do we tap into some alternative tracks to funnel people into roles where historically uh, it's been college graduates, all these other kinds of things. So I think there's a couple of different pieces to that. And that's kind of a long, long winding answer, but that that's, that's uh, those are the areas that I think people need to explore in, in that, in that area. Now for some folks, isn't just the fact that like, I'm going to hire someone when you're going to say I'm only hiring one person, just the fact that that person is so precious you're afraid to take a risk that you might take if you were just change the thinking to say, okay, we're going to hire five people to do this type of a role or 10 people where, you know, I can kind of play in the edges a little bit and I can go into look in places that I normally wouldn't have looked because I might uncover something there and it would be okay. But if I'm, I'm limiting my hire to just one or a couple, then I feel like I can't make a mistake. So I'm going with, like you said, this kind of risk averse, Oh, well, I went to this school, so I'm going to get somebody I know this school 
turns out those people. So I, that's where I'm going to look. And then I've eliminated, you know, 99.9% of the population by doing that. Yeah. So I think what I typically, what I try to get people to do is to think holistically about the position and think about not what I, I need people to do necessarily, but, but who, as much who's going to enjoy it. Right. If I, you can hire me to do the things that I'm an expert in and I'm going to be bored and I'm going to be miserable in that job. And yes, I can do it, but I'm not going to be happy. And you're going to wish you hadn't hired me. Right. But you can go hire somebody who's an up and comer who can grow into that role and who can learn and is going to find it really exciting. is going to love showing up every day. Right. And they're going to be a much better employee than somebody who may have done exactly what you need to do. So it's really about, about stopping and assessing your role. And if you're just hiring for one or two positions, that's fine, but stop and assess it. And there's four factors. There's, there's what are the skills or the aptitude, but then it's also, um, you know, obviously our, our extrinsic motivators like pain perk, who's going to accept these, uh, what's our fit? What's our culture? What are our values? How do we behave? Who's going to be happy behaving in the ways that we need our code of conduct adhered to? Uh, and then who's actually going to enjoy it, right? Who's going to find this fun? Who's going to find this intrinsically motivating? And the intrinsically motivating is probably the most important, but it's also the one that people find the hardest to interview for. But it's really, if you can find somebody who's excited to show up and they have the aptitude to do the work, then often they're going to outperform someone who's been doing that exact role for the last five years because that person's going to be bored. So, so it's really, you've got to think holistically, right? And that's what we coach people to do is to think beyond skills, beyond experience, think holistically about the whole role and who's going to be happy. In. Now, um, when you're doing an interview and, and um, let's say I buy into what you're saying that, that, you know, that element of it, this, they, if it's fun for them, that they're going to be a better fit for me. Is there some clues that a person really enjoys it and they're just not, you know, telling me they enjoy it? Is there some things I can look for as an interviewer to kind of glean that information? Am I looking at their hobbies or the, you know, how they're behaving when they're off the clock? Like what are some clues that they really, really do enjoy and they're just not telling me they do? Yeah. So I always start with, with uh, the job descriptions I put uh, publicly are very specific to they're written, not in a, what I need, but they're in a, what you get to do. Right. It's not I need, I need, I need. And these are the demands I'm going to put on you. They are you get to do X and you get to do Y and you get to solve this problem and you get to work with these people and you get to help these customers. Right. So I am selling the the, the intrinsic motivators in. And if they haven't read a job description, then that's what I spend the first five minutes of the interview saying is, is these are all the things you get to do. Right. They're not the demands I'm putting on you. Right. And then I'm, what I want to know is why is that interesting? Right. Why is that interesting to you? What's interesting about that? What's interesting about this position beyond pay perks, remote, you know, those extrinsic motivators that any company can offer. I'm hoping to find something in their response that says, you know, Scott, my last job was in medical education. Uh, my wife is a doctor. Uh, I, I love the idea. My, I come from a family of doctors. I love the idea of building software and education experiences for medical students. Right. So I'm looking for something in their background that says, I have some interest in this beyond just the pay and perks. So yeah, the first interview, that's really all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, I'm not trying to say no to this person. I'm trying to say, what would I say yes to about this person? Where do they fit? Where do they belong? Where are they going to be happy? That's my whole first interview is just trying to answer that question. And then if that aligns with my role, great. And if it doesn't, maybe it aligns with the role I'll have in 60 days. Or you know what? I know somebody else who runs a business. And I think this person would be grateful right? To help them in that, in their particular problems. But yeah. It's, it's really about uh, 
being authentic about, about what you have to offer and then seeing who's going to respond to that and who's going to be excited by it. And really try to understand the why that candidate is getting up in the morning and what excites them and seeing if it's a fit or not. Yeah. So, so the, the five questions I try to answer in a screening interview is why are you interested in this position? Right. What are your career goals? Just kind of where are you in your career? I'm just trying to get a feel for where are you in your career? Where do you, you know, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to do? What's what's interesting? And then I try to boil it down to what are you really good at professionally? Right. What do you hope to get to do? When you get up in the morning, what do you like to do? What do you what do you want to go charge head first into? Right. And then with most roles, it's it's there's things people like to do and things they don't like to do. So the second question is, what are you not good at professionally? Like, what do you really hope that a teammate will do? <laughs> like, if, if you're working on a team and there's these six tasks and you're going to gravitate toward four and you're going to be perfectly happy when a teammate picks up these two because you just hate them, what are those things? Like, what are some of those things that you don't enjoy professionally? And then as you look at that next year, what, what, are, the, what are the three things that are going to make the next year great for you? Like, as you assess and you think about, boy, next year would be great if X, Y, and Z happened. And most people don't have a good answer for that when we start the conversation. But my goal over a 30-minute conversation or a 60-minute conversation is to really help them stop and think about what, what, where have I been happy in the past? What have I been happy working on? What do I think is going to make me happy going forward? What do I really need in my next job in the next year? Like, what's really important to me? And if I can get them to settle that, to kind of settle that in their own mind, then I can say, is there a match? Is there a match here? But the funny thing is the feedback I get from that interview is how much people enjoy it because they walk out of that interview. People love to talk about themselves, right? So it's an opportunity for them to really though stop and think about what it is they want and what they like and what they don't like in a way that a lot of times they haven't. And they often walk out of that interview uh, really excited, even if it's not about me, just that they feel like they've learned something about themselves. That's the feedback I get often is I learned something about myself from this interview. Now, um, in your practice, are you working primarily with tech companies because that's your background or is that just um, your background? Are you Is this kind of industry agnostic, the kind of work you're doing? It's generally industry agnostic, but I do tend to, a lot of the innovations and the things that I've done are very uh, useful for knowledge workers and for professionals. It's probably less, you know, if you're if you're dealing with largely unskilled workers in routine situations, then then a lot of the things I get into just aren't applicable. They're just not as interesting. But yeah, typically, uh, tech world, STEM world, science, uh, anything with with knowledge workers, professionals uh, are the 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 areas where I tend to excel. Now, if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, what's the website? Yeah, jumpcoach.com is the best place to go. That's where you can get into all our leadership training. Uh, there's a contact thing on there. We haven't put a whole lot up yet on hiring. That's the stuff that we're, we're slow rolling this out. We're doing some workshops with companies and we've got some other stuff that we're, we're going to come out. So if you're, if you're interested in, in talking more about hiring and some of these kinds of things, there's a contact link on the, on the, on the page. And as this interview is out over time, there'll, there'll be some, some stuff that shows up on jumpcoach.com about it as well. Good stuff. Well, Scott, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Lee, thanks so much. Appreciate you having me on. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio. Yeah.